There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 23rd, 2010. Newcomers, as always, there's lots of newcomers coming in all the time, I advise you to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and bookmark all the other sites I've got up there because I do have problems with uh, the main sites once in a while. This way you can get the latest shows from the alternate sites uh, should I go down again. And while you're there, look into... Uh, the books I have for sale, uh, look f- at the CDs as well. Some of these discs have 50 shows or more on them, uh, DVDs as well. And that's how I keep going is by selling those and also by the, by the occasional donation I get as well. I don't accept money from advertisers. Every other host does. That's how they make their living, and that's okay. But this way I can, I've got a freer hand to do different things and say other things as well. And I'm not beholden really to... Um, to people to sponsor me uh, and sort of go along with everything in the world is politics everything is politics and once basically you have agreements with people you go along with certain things even if it's against maybe even your conscience so I've got a freer hand to do what I want the ads you hear on this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN for their staff for their time, for their equipment for their broadcast and their bills so it's up to you to help me with mine and I'd appreciate it if you do buy the books, etc., that I have listed on the website. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, you can order them through personal check. You can use an international postal money order. You can use PayPal for donations or to purchase. Just use the donation button, send a separate email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you very quickly, too. Across the rest of the world, it's the same idea. Some people remember still saying cash. That gets through. Uh, you can use Western Union, MoneyGram, or PayPal for donations and for ordering. Separate email along with the donation if you want to order from me. And remember, these books are different. Well, I, don't, I don't bore you with all the facts of history that were given, which is mainly nonsense anyway. I show you the techniques of control. And control really has altered its techniques down through the ages from basic forms of religion, basic forms of secret societies. And all um, groups who become very wealthy always have a secret society or a cartel even or a club or whatever they want to call themselves or a G20 is a good example uh, because they have secrets and they don't want the public to know about them. Therefore, they develop the little signs and symbols and little buzzwords and terms and phrases so that they all know who each other are and if they're on board with the same agenda. This is standard all down through the ages. You find the equestrian order in ancient Rome for the nobility as well with initiations that happened in a field with a grandmaster and all that kind of stuff. So I show you the techniques has been used right up until the present. And today, of course, they don't need so much secrecy in a sense 
they simply have their big GHG20s, but there's even more important ones above them that never go into the newspapers because all these elected people are responsible to masters, and the masters are the ones that put them in power, and that's not the public. That's really how it works. And a new world order means it's precisely that. It's not just a new world order of a global society. It's a planned, scientifically planned, expertly run society. That's supposedly the whole idea of it. It's also a depopulation program because they've never been shy at telling us that eugenics is a big part of their agenda. And they've achieved much of it already, and most folk don't even know that. They've been living through it, in fact, because with the declining birth rates always given uh, every year by the United Nations and the reasons for massive immigration to make up on the children we're not having, uh, that that's, that shows you that it's actually working. Now the music's coming in and I'll, I'm going to go into a few topics after these messages. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I should also mention, too, that in the website there, you'll see Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu listed as well. That site has all the same audios for download, but it's got the addition of transcripts in a, a variety of languages to choose from. Of a lot of the talks that I've given, all the other sites have the audios and transcripts in English only. So that's another one to look at. Now, Talking about the system that runs us, of course, we all know it's done in secrecy, semi-secrecy really, because the books put out by members of the big groups are put out every single year, and uh, they used to go to libraries, and most folk never ever read them, they're too dry and too boring, and I think too, because you're looking at something that seems almost like a science fiction, you can't really relate to it, things that are going to happen in the future, albeit the short-term future, um, it's too remote or foreign to them that they can't really believe that people will, will pull it off. It's too unreal. In fact, that's the technique that they rely upon is their disbelief. They go into disbelief. And that's why they can pull it off indeed. And when you look at the amounts of meetings just the G20 alone has per year across the world, and all the sub-meetings of the other G8s and all the rest of it that goes on, it's phenomenal. And they are part of a global structure system of Trilateral Commission, Council of Foreign Relations members, uh, all handpicked basically by their masters to make sure they're going to push for global government, something that Cecil Rhodes was talking about over a 100 years ago and dedicated his fortune uh, to it through Rhodes Scholarships. You find a lot of the U.S. Um, uh, senators, in fact, are actually Rhodes Scholars, and many of the top uh, brass at the, the uh, bureaucratic level are also Rhodes Scholars. And these Rhodes Scholars are, are dedicated to global governance. They're released into the public. All the doors are open to them when they come out of university, and they take their places, and they work there for their lives, their entire lives, in other governments again, behind the scenes in the high bureaucracy. That's where they go. And what do you need to really to be a front man, a politician? Well, politicians are basically liars. 
That's what they do. They lie to the public. And I've gone through their personality so many times about psychopathy and how uh, the book Political Pornology, for instance, is an excellent book, an excellent primer to, to show you the, the, the psychopathic um, studies that have been done on psychopaths, I should say, especially politicians in all countries and recent and ones from previous times. They all have that ability to lie without flinching, without embarrassment, and there's something missing in them, basically. But they will do what they're told by the great paymaster, uh, and they're given lots of rewards to make sure that they're, they're quite happy in their little jobs. And, and of course, whoever they're into sexually is always covered up for them too, and, and their sexual preferences are provided to them. Bill Clinton was a great example of that. Now, at one time, lying, you see, uh, used to be uh, frowned upon. And of course, we even had the impression that in public life, this, the last person you want in there is a liar. But not really. It's, it's, that's the way it's really always been in the, the world of politics. Read your history books. Read the different write-ups on books about politicians in the past, and you'll find uh, that they've never been liked because they're always liars. They always promise you everything that you want to hear, and then they, they get in and they're managed by those behind them. They slap on extra taxes and you end up with less freedoms and money than you had before. Now, here's an article to do with that, how, how now they're, they're actually approving of liars. And it was from Yahoo, in fact, on May 17th. It says, little liars grow up to be great leaders. Researchers have found that the ability to tell fibs, that's lies, at the age of two is a sign of a fast-developing brain and means children are more likely to have successful lives. A team of Canadian academics have found that the more plausible the lie, the more quick-witted they will be in later years and the better their ability to think on their feet. Parents shouldn't be alarmed if their child tells a fib, says Dr. Kang Lee, director of the Institute of Child Study at Toronto University, who carried out the research. But how can we believe him? Maybe he's another liar than if he's promoting it. It says, all children lie. Those who have a better cognitive development lie better because they can cover up their tracks. They may make bankers in later life. Well, that might be very well true. Lying involves multiple brain processes, such as integrating sources of information and manipulating the data to their advantage. Well, they do that all the time with statistics and stuff and graphs, like the hockey graphs uh, to do with the global warming, you know. It says, it is linked to the development of brain regions that allow executive functioning and use higher order thinking and reasoning. Dr. Lee and his team tested 1,200 children aged 2 to 16 years old. They found at the age of 2, 20% of children will lie. This rises to 50% by 3 and almost 90% at 4. The most deceitful age they discovered was 12, when almost every child tells lies. Researchers say there's no link between telling fibs in childhood and any tendency to cheat in exams or to become a fraudster later in life. And I'm sure that's been disproven before by other grant-laden studies uh, that wanted a different version. But uh, it's interesting that they're telling you it's okay now for children to lie, you see. I can remember when Dr. Spock was on the go. That's when they were, after the Kinsey report, and they, and they, they, they fudged all the data for Kinsey to try and convince people, especially women, they were missing something out in their sex life if they weren't um, rutting around like rabbits. And he used prostitutes 
and uh, pedophiles in prison, in fact, um, as ordinary people, and that's what he used for his study. He also paid people to assault children. I mean, babies, folks, and have sex with them. For his the guy was a perv himself, an utter perv. And he preferred guys, of course, but uh, he seemed to have a thing for children, too. And he wasn't at least caught doing it himself. He, he certainly was exposed as paying others to do it. And that's how they, they did that for the sexual thing. And that became almost the, the new norm, you see. Uh, everybody was quoting Kinsey, and it was all made-up nonsense by a bunch of pervs. But it was intended to do that. They tried that in Germany, you know, in the 1920s with a, a doctor there that came out with the same kind of stuff. And actually, the book burnings that you see generally, the Nazi films, it was his books that were getting burned. That's, that's the pal you see getting burned at that famous clip they always show you. He had a museum of sexual perversions with all kinds of contraptions and stuff. And he did sex operations on people back then to change them from one gender to the next. That's a, a by the side. That's by the side. And and then after that, of course, as I say, um, out came Spock. And Spock was to convince the women that they couldn't manage their children or give them morals and values. No, here's how you treat children. Let them do what they want. And then that's what happened. A generation grew up like psychopaths, which is exactly what government wanted, because then came the agencies to deal with all the fallout. <laughs> you see how they do it? They're, they're excellent planners at the top. And eventually, there was hardly a person who wasn't trying to treat their children like their best friend. That's how they were told to do it. A child is a child. It doesn't have the brain of an adult. It's still developing. So it shouldn't be your best friend. In that sense, you don't sit and tell the child all your problems. And you've got to be in charge of the child for that child's own good. And at the end of his life, Spock said that we've raised a nation, a generation of psychopaths. He admitted that, so... But he'd done his job, just like Kinsey had done his job, and they were heavily funded again by the Rockefeller Foundation. They said, what, a long time ago? They must destroy the family, you know. <laughs> but, so there you go, they, uh, lying's a good thing. And speaking of liars, uh, let's go into the G20 meeting, where all the politicians are meeting. Uh, there's liars from around the world, and... Uh, it says here from the star.com, the Toronto Star is, uh, used to be the, the communist uh, paper at one time. They always give you a star, red star paper, and a sun that's supposed to be the right wing. But I believe the sun was taken over by the left wing, so I guess it's, it's a bit darker. But this um, G20 summit security is to be massive, it says. Uh, inner layers security zone will be protected by a three meter fence and five layers of security. This is access to the innermost security zone during the G20 weekend. It's only for a couple of days. It's really one day, really, you know. We'll be controlled by $1.1 billion. We'll be controlled by a three-meter-high fence and five levels of security screening, a summit official said Tuesday. Uh, These were amongst the few details shared with more than 100 property managers and company representatives who attended Tuesday morning's G20 Summit Preparedness Workshop uh, hosted by the Building Owners and Managers Association. So they go into the spiel there about the different kind of, of uh, um, security they're going to have, but they don't go into it in much depth. It's more of a PR for the Building uh, Managers Association. Uh, 
There's a better site here. It's from the University of Toronto, and it's the official site for the G20 Information Centre. I'll put these links on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the show. But this G20 Information Centre is well worth going through because you'll see their previous meetings and all the rest of it, and you can download uh, PDFs from their talks. And it's all about uh, global governance. You'll see it there, global governance and global economic governance as well. And that's all through it, is global governance, global governance and global economic governance. That's everything, folks. That's what it's for. Now, do do any of these liars, these politicians, mention that they're going to push all this for global governance when they run for election? Nope. Nope. Suddenly they're all nationalistic and they keep mentioning the name of their country just to make sure you you associate the two of them together and uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. But they never mention uh, the G20 or the G8s or anything else that's on the go. Never. Back with more after the following break. Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix and just going through the G20 paraphernalia here, all the stuff they give out to the public. But this article here is from their main site, and you have to go into it to find out if you're interested at all. Most folk aren't. They don't really care, most people, who runs them or runs the world as long as they can play. But if you want to go into it, you'll find all these different things on global governance and yesterday I mentioned the Sherpas, the ones, the, 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 the higher bureaucrats who run across the world um, and working out all the big things that will be signed at this particular meeting. Because that's all the politicians do is eat and drink and make merry and sign things that are put in front of them by the, the other guys who are doing the real work, the real handlers. And they have all these other ones working for them across the world too. Here's one you'll see on this one for their own website. You can download that. This is Potential Partnership in Global Economic Governance, Canada's G20 Summit from Toronto to Turkey by John Curtin, the co-director G20 Research Group. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's another government involved here. See, the world government's already here. Well, it's these layers of bureaucrats that don't work for any particular country. And it says the paper was prepared for a presentation at TEPAV, T-E-P-A-V, Ankara and Diek Istanbul, Turkey, June the 7th to the 8th, 2010. This version is from June 13. It says, The challenge, in less than two weeks, the most powerful leaders of the world's uh, 20 most systemically significant countries arrive in Toronto, Canada, for their fourth summit of the group of 20. And there's another thing they use too, you see. The big boys use, they used to use clubs for their, for their little cliques, uh, mainly clubs based in London uh, at one time. And then they used committees. They also had committees. Bertrand Russell, while he was working for MI5, also ran the Committee of 100 that was the real radical groups uh, that would storm the U.S. air bases in Britain and knock down their fences. He was in charge of that. So he ran both sides, MI5 and, and that at the same time. That's standard, though. And this one is calls themselves a group of 20, you see. There's also groups of fives and groups of threes. 
It says it will be their first meeting of the newly proclaimed Permanent Priority Center of International Economic Cooperation, uh, the first co-chaired by an established and emerging economy, and the first held in tight tandem with the older, smaller group of G8 major power democracies. What they mean is distribution of wealth. I'm just reinterpreting it for you. And Toronto, the G20 leaders will confront several critical global challenges. The first is European-turned-global, the global financial crisis, erupting in May, even before the previous American-turned-global financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 had been solved. It still isn't solved. The second is a devastation to trade, investment and development that these financial-turned-economic crises caused. The third is the environmental and social problems they exacerbate from climate change. That's a priority now as this nonsense global warming and the carbon energy taxes are coming. And energy to food and health. You're going to get rationing down the road, as I have said. They, to control the world, they've got to use food. And, and the, the Council of Foreign Relations have had a think tank, a separate think tank, working on that for the last... 15 years, the coming food shortages. Go into their own website at Chatham House and see it for yourself. So it says here, and the fourth is strengthening the G20 itself and the international financial institutions. That means signing treaties. We're all under a World Bank, folks, and other general uh, global bodies more generally to govern more effectively, equitably, and accountably today's complex, uncertain, intensely interconnected world, and so on and so on and so on. You can read it all for yourself. But some of them are worth wading through all the boring uh, stuff that they have there to find out what they're really up to. And all they do is reaffirm that you're already global. You have been for some time. And yes, they are um, basically running every country's economic system through their central banking system all the way up to the World Bank and through the World Bank. And they're going to make sure that's even tighter uh, in, a, in a sense with all the new treaties they'll sign. And uh, we're already under global government. There's no doubt about it. You'll have to look through it for yourself. And as I say, for those that dare, most folk don't really, they want to howl and, and yell about things, but they don't really want to know the, the nitty-gritty of what's really happening. What's interesting, too, there was an earthquake, apparently, uh, in Toronto, or in the interior region, up through into Quebec, Canada, uh, today. Uh, and I didn't know, I didn't know a darn thing, and... Um, it says, the day Central Canada felt the earth move. Maybe that's what they're saying at the G20. Maybe the God isn't too happy with them. And they're sending off a hit squad off to try and knock them off, you know, part of the security measures. But this is from Yahoo Canada News. It says, the day Central Canada felt the earth move. Um, cars were shaken from their parking spots, buildings cracked. And residents ran through the streets Wednesday as a magnitude 5 earthquake left a small town in western Quebec in a state of emergency and much of central Canada wondering what in the world was going on. The damage appeared to be concentrated on Gracefield, Quebec, a tiny municipality over 2,300, not far from the epicenter of the tremor, uh, which was pinpointed about 60 kilometres north of Ottawa and 18 kilometres under the surface of the earth. Anyway, they felt it all the way down to Toronto, apparently, Anything from 30 seconds to a minute to a minute and a half. So it's one of these rare events we get, but uh, I'm sure the religious ones can read something into it. 
And, and those who wish for other things to happen, maybe you could wish for a bit more. <laughs> anyway, as I say, it's, it's quite as... Here's another thing too, G20, on, on the businesses. Business owners, bankers and brokers who normally throng Toronto's busy financial district have made themselves scarce ahead of this weekend's Group of 20 summit in the face of a growing police presence and planned protests. With security worries mounting and traffic disruptions expected... You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back again, cutting through the matrix and reading an article from Reuters on the G20 to do with business being shut down, basically, uh, because of all this massive security that's going on all week, even though the meeting doesn't happen till the weekend. But um, all the traffic's disrupted. They've got these big massive fences up. They've got cages up for protesters. They always have these collapsible cages they drag in now and, and throw you in like, like monkeys in a cage in a zoo. Uh, but then these are stun guns too, which are just cattle prods. So that's how the public are being treated now. And we're getting used to that each time we see these things on television or wherever you get your news from. We've been trained. This is a new way. But uh, as mentions too how the banking staff have dressed down that standard too. They do that in all countries where they try and look like ordinary folk wearing sort of ordinary clothing rather than the Brioni and Canali suits that they generally wear and stuff like that. But um, they don't want to be conspicuous to the protesters who are maybe a bit peeved at all the bailouts they've had to pay for their expensive suits and holidays and, and, and bonuses and stuff like that, you know. But it says here the smaller, there is actually a smaller summit of the rich group of eight countries. As the G20 goes on, they also have the, the group of eight countries, and that, and that takes place in the resort town of Huntsville, Ontario, which is 215 clicks north of Toronto, just ahead of the broader G20 gathering. So it says business has virtually stopped for the week. Clients say they're working from home, but for a lot of them, uh, home happens to be summer cottages for the week, said John Ng, president of Toronto Investment Dealer Mason Placements. I guess this is also, it's amazing how they get little ads in all the write-ups, isn't it, for the, their clients. Meetings have been postponed because restaurants are closed. And it's disrupting the, the whole of the, the, the major city for this incredible extravaganza, this blowout of tax money for all these supposed servants of the people's from across the world. Quite something, isn't it? Now, there's, there's reports coming out of Israeli papers just now, just, just right now, in fact, uh, that um, the Israeli Air Force has landed at the Saudi base where they're supposedly going to amass for the attack on Iran. And uh, this is from the Tzvi Ben Dela Yahoo um, on Israeli, Israeli news uh, from the newspaper in Israel. And it says U.S. troops are also near the Iran border. The Israeli Air Force recently unloaded military equipment at a Saudi Arabia base, a semi-official Iranian news agency claimed Wednesday, while a large American force has amassed in Azerbaijan, which is on the northwest border of Iran. Both reports followed by less than a week. The Pentagon's confirmation that an unusually large American fleet sailed through the Suez Canal Saturday. Several reports stated that an Israeli ship joined their Armada. 
the Pentagon played down the news saying the American maneuvers were routine. Yeah, right. However, a report by Iran on Wednesday that it's enriched dozens of pounds of 17% enriched uranium serves as a reminder that time is out to stop Iran from being able to produce a nuclear weapon. Well, that's nonsense because uh, even if they manage to get 20%, it's way below what you would need, way, way below what you'd need for a nuclear weapon. They know that too. This is Iran's Faris News Agency said the Israeli military aircraft landed 10 days ago at the Saudi base near the city of Tabuk, located in northwest Saudi Arabia, one of the closest areas in the oil kingdom to Iran. Faris said that Tabuk base will be the central station for an Israeli attack on Iran. It quoted an Islamic news site that a commercial airline passenger said the airport in Tabuk was closed to all other traffic during the alleged Israeli landings. The passenger said that no reasonable explanation was given for shutting down the airports and those passengers were compensated financially and booked in four-star hotels. So it's interesting to see if they're... Because I've just really intensified the the food going in and the medicine going into Iran and, and them selling anything out to keep themselves alive. That's what the embargo is all about. So it's been interesting to see if they're going to do a fast shortcut here and before public opinion builds against them and simply invade there, well, interesting to see how they'll play this one out. And I'm sure it's, it's all planned down to the smallest detail, all the scenarios. And, and some people will be, will be pretty dismayed, dismayed if they don't uh, let it play out with embargoes and starve them to death because Madeleine Albright's on NATO now. She's on the, the panel with the top chief of staffs at, at NATO. And she loves starving people to death because she said so basically, in an interview when they were starving the Iraqis, and she was in charge of that embargo, and she said when she was asked if half a million women and children have died so far with, uh, because they can't get medicine or food, is that worth it? She says, oh, perfectly. So that's Madeline getting disappointed at a fast invasion here. Because psychopaths run the world, you see. Now, there's a little article on Maurice Strong. It's a PR please piece. You know, he's a nice guy sort of stuff from The Guardian, though, but The Guardian's all on board and paid by the big boys for being uh, all for global warming uh, stuff and environment and depopulation and so on. So they don't do anything that really matters. But So here's a typical PR piece that tells you nothing about Maurice Strong. And apparently Maurice Strong came on in response to Glenn Beck. This is how they're running it here, who criticize him. And he says, and so Strong says, I don't want to rule the world. No, he's boss will. What I want to do, says a man self-labeled the planet's leading environmentalist, is for nations to cooperate fully on issues they cannot deal with alone. So this is June 23rd from The Guardian. It says, the United Nations Air Summit General Secretary in Rio de Janeiro, Morris Strong shakes hands and blah, blah, and he showed you all the photographs uh, doing his high hootspah stuff. And it says, um, the founding executive director of the United Nations Environment Program and self-proclaimed the world's leading environmentalist has hit back at his critics in a rare interview with The Guardian, responding to internet speculation and repeated attacks by prominent right-wing climate skeptics. It's funny how you're, if you're a skeptic, you're right-wing, isn't it? You see how they play all this nonsense yeah. uh, that he is. You. So does that mean if you're if you're left wing, you're automatically believing everything you're told at the top from the top? Yeah. 
that he's using the climate change issue to establish a global government. The 81-year-old Canadian who organized both the Stockholm Conference on the Human Environment in 1972 and the Rio Earth Summit in 1992 said his only motivation was to alert the world that mankind's current actions are environmentally unsustainable. No, he's done an awful lot more than that, folks. So I've always made it clear that I do not believe that global government is either necessary or feasible, said Strong, who was a key official at the United Nations for decades until his retirement in 2005. And he's not retired, folks. What I do believe is that we need a system of global governance, see, there you go, through which nations can cooperate and deal with issues they cannot deal with alone. Maybe that statement is too sophisticated for some, but it shouldn't be. So he won't explain what he means. So last month, Glenn Beck, the conservative Fox News host and popular U.S. talk radio presenter, portrayed Strong as a malevolent figure using his U.N. contacts to bring about the collapse of the world's industrialized civilizations. Beck said Strong is involved in collapsing the global economies into the hands of a global government. Last year, Lord Moncton, the prominent climate skeptic who recently became the deputy leader of the UK Independence Party, accused Strong during a US TV program of being a central figure in a collusion between UN officials, business leaders and scientists to use climate change as a device to make money. Well, they're making a lot of money off it, folks, too, although Strong is a good liar. He will deny that. He lied at a very young age, about the age of two, I think. Strong, a former oil and utilities industry executive who is currently a director of the Chicago Climate Exchange, along with Al Gorkers, North America's only exchange trading credits for greenhouse gas emissions, rejected the accusation. It's true that I do get a modest fee from Chicago Climate Chain Exchange, which I helped to found, because I believe the cap-and-trade system, while not perfect, is one of the best ways to ensure that people have the incentive to reduce their emissions at the lowest cost, he says, meaning by punishing you and jacking everything up so that he can profit off it. That's a long way from suggesting that I could invent the climate change issue to make profit. I have business interests, but they're pretty modest. Oh, well, oh, oh. Yeah, he definitely he lied at six months, folks. I've changed my mind. It's six months this guy started. And I believe that business has to contribute to the solutions. To do that, they have to be profitable. You know, when he was brought over to dismantle the, the, the publicly owned uh, um electrical system of Ontario, the entire of, entire Ontario, the whole Ontario. They brought him over. Bob Ray made him the chairman of it. He was on, they found out after a year he was on two salaries, one from Ontario for, for being the head of it, and, and one from the United Nations, because he was still head of either the World Bank or something like that. So he made a deal when, it, when the scandal broke, and he says, okay, I'll, I'll stay on and, and privatize this industry for a dollar uh, a week or whatever it was. That's, that's no kidding. That, that's how honest this guy is. Eh? But he didn't tell you beforehand he was taking two salaries. <laughs> Strong also rejected internet speculation by conspiracy theorists or conspiracy theories that's a member of clandestine groups such as the Bilderberg Group and the Illuminati. <laughs> I have got lots of connections, but they're not amongst them, he said. No, he's only one of the favorites of the Rockefellers. In fact, they picked him up as a young man started him off and put him into the oil industry to get the feel of how the big boys work and then set him on his way to, to be head in environmental movements and so on. On the issue of whether humanity can tackle environmental changes, he believes that now faces strong was downbeat. Analytically, I'm pessimistic. He said, I believe the odds are against us for making the changes we need to make in time. And then when you scroll down, he blames it mainly on overpopulation, of course. <laughs> How many children do you have, Maurice? You want to tell them all?
No, I'm sure he doesn't. But you can look up for yourself. The world that we're growing up in this world is one where we are being killed off. I'm fed up going through the statistics and stuff, the disappearing mail from CBC and all the other scientific data that's been presented, plus the UN's own report that Westerners are basically becoming sterile. And it's, no, it's a big mystery why. They're not really concerned about it, which tells you, of course, that it's part of the agenda. Otherwise, it would be a crisis, obviously. Right? It's not a crisis, so it's normal. Therefore, it's, it's, it's meant to happen, and they know what's causing it in that case, too. But uh, they're also giving you all kinds of new uh, injections. And the children, I'm not kidding you, they're like pin cushions before they're six months old now. And, and pharma is, is part of the military-industrial complex. You better do your homework and look into the history of the big pharma companies in World War II and onwards. You'll find out what they're up to. Because these are the companies that have their, 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 their classified five and six and seven scheduled uh, containment facilities. They have some of the world's worst bacterium, and they alter it. And they alter the viruses too. And, and it's simple to make a virus to alter it within an hour into some killer. If you read your books on it. And they do things like that. So they're involved in, in warfare facilities by, by the warfare establishment. Why build your own when these guys already have all the facilities? You understand? And if you want to depopulate the world and sterilize them, and since they did talk about using needles in Bertrand Russell's day and Julian Huxley's day, well, of course, they've been doing it. How else would they get it into your system? By telling you this is good for you, and this is a, for polio, and this is for this and that, and so on. They can't ask for volunteers yet. They're almost ready now. They're conditioned a young group that's okay to, to become sterile. And they're pushing the Gardasil and everything else that comes along the pike. And with every one that they put out, they, also, they keep telling you now you need boosters every year. And they're actually pushing to get every adult with every kind of booster every year. Great business for pharma. Private, public-private partnerships, they call it, as they rule over the public. Okay? Not bad deals for them. This article is from Mail Online. National Health Service Trust suspends cervical cancer vaccinations after a girl 14 dies with, within hours of the jab. That's another one. They're dropping like flies. And that was, that was um, 2009. And I read it at the time, but it's been more since then. And it, because this one was so easy to prove what had caused it, they had to make a big deal out of it. And then they had to suspend it for six months. But then, since then, they've actually carried on with it. And other ones have just dropped dead as well. And what they're saying, of course, if you die within 24 hours, it probably is not connected with the jab. You know, it's just one of these coincidences. Disgusting, eh? Just disgusting. Now, I'll also put up the White House release. I mentioned it the other night uh, of the synopsis of a new healthcare system, basically. This is a five-page fact sheet which you can download. I'll put the link up. You can download from it yourself to see the basic outline of it. Now, remember, um, and I have people who work in the big insurance companies who have told me that it was their insurance companies that pushed for this healthcare system. Not it was not for to help the public at all. Believe you me. And just to add what what it means to be an international healthcare system when IMF comes in and cuts back in everything. And they all start with your health care. 
There are people in Britain now being told to, to go home with your urine sample, boil uh, a jar like a jam jar or something, and, and, and use that to, to take your specimens in with now because they can't afford the cheap plastic little containers. And they cut back on everything. I'm not kidding. This is true. So this is what the U.S. has got to look forward to. As it's brought down, and you know something in the U.S., you don't know what's coming down because you will not believe it. Only a few people can actually accept what's happening. Most are in complete denial. They can't believe that their real life is going to radically alter that fast. They can't believe it. And it will be interesting to see the rate that they do bring all this stuff into the U.S., if you do it gradually, you'll adapt and adapt and adapt till it's normal. If you do it quickly, you, you might get a bit hysterical. But you, you have no idea. I have no idea what's coming down the pike now that you're completely socialized openly in a socialist system, scientific socialism. And there's articles out there too about royalty, just to, just to throw it in at the end of the show. Because the vast, I think, a nine and a half, and the Queen asked personally for a nine and a half uh, million pound uh, paycheck for for the year. You know, she wants a, ra- a raise of uh, up to like a few more million pounds raises. But how do they spend their off time here? This article here is from Mail Online. You see, you're untouchable above a certain level in the world, and every level, the laws never they can't apply to you. As is revealed, the Royals' favourite nightclubs in a culture of rampant drug abuse by Natasha Perlman, the 13th of October 2007, this was. This is how what they do with themselves when you're going through recessions and so on. And then they mentioned this darkened London nightclub at 2am Wednesday morning. A crowd of 20-something party goers are dancing with utter abandon to the thumping beat of a fashionable rap song. The champagne glasses brimming, 500 pounds bottle, a bottle champagne they're drinking. Clean together as beautiful young girls uh, chat to rich young men. It's a place where uh, Sloan's collide with Eurotrash and the place reeks of money. It says, but if you, if you seek out the true face of this painfully exclusive London haunt, take a look at the toilets. Because that's where it's splattered with cocaine. All on the walls and everything. I think the music's coming in. It's very hard to hear. I'll be back after this break. Hi, folks. We're cutting through the matrix and... Just touching on how the, Royal, the Royals partied and where they partied, at least one, one, one place, one club in Britain. And, of course, they have them all over the place, all over the world as well. But uh, this uh, reporter got in, and he talks about uh, the, the costs of it all and the cocaine that splattered all over the walls and the bathrooms openly. And the cops will never go in there, believe you me. Never in a million years will they go in there, anywhere near there. They know which clubs to stay away from and where all the lords go as well. But he says, I order a lover's cup cocktail at £21 a glass, one of the cheapest drinks in the menu. But before I can pay a man who I soon learned is a hedge fund manager, all these guys go there, of course, signals to the waiter and my money is ignored. The amount's small change to a man who's about to rack up a bar bill, which will cost nearly £4,000. That's for a night, you know, just a night of drinks. 
Then he goes on about the, the, all the other costs there and how much Prince Harry put down. It's eleven grand for a tab or something. I mean, it's just you can't imagine how these folks just laugh at us, just laugh at the people as you put on extra taxes and value-added taxes. The value-added tax in Britain has gone up to 20% on every purchase. Everything, food, everything. And now they're bringing it into Canada too, in July, openly. They've already had it under GST, but now they're going to be openly calling it the VAT, you see. And apparently they want to bring it into the States as well. And your prices will skyrocket for everything. Postage stamps, everything, 20% up. Everything. Amazing. It's just amazing. Now, the environmentalists, I should mention, too, always do their big parades at the G20, and they get the big, big show parade, because you're the clean little guys that are all authorized by the big foundations, who have members inside the meetings, of course, and they get to see some of the leaders and talk nice little speeches that they give to them, all pre-written, of course. And they're the goody-goody two-shoes, because they demand that governments do exactly what the governments have been told to do by their bosses. And they sign these things in your law. But if you want your own grant, you realize all these groups are paid by grant makers associations. And I'll put a link up called the Environmental Grant Makers Association. It says it was formed in 1987 with 12 member foundations, the usual guys from across the United States. Today our members represent over 220 foundations from North America and around the world. They've got billions to spare, folks. And you can create your own environmental lobby group as long as you agree to all their terms and what they push, and you good little front-end GOs, you can make a living on their grants quite well, in fact. And I'll put that link up for you, too, to show how the NGOs are funded. They fund all the big NGO groups and every part of societal direction for lobbying. Amazing. And then, as the U.S. has gone through all this, now we've got some some city employees getting laid off. That'd be quite something if you see most of them getting laid off across. We might not get so many tax bills and stuff. This is in this is in L.A. May we were just to lay off all city employees and dismantle the police department because they're broke. And that's June 22nd. The city of Maywood will lay off all city employees and begin contracting police services with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department effective July 1st, the official said. In addition to contracting with the staff's the Sheriff's Department, the Maywood City Council voted unanimously Monday to, to lay off an estimated 100 employees and contract with neighboring Bell, which will handle other city services such as finance, records management, parks and recreation, street maintenance and others. You know, eventually in the country you'll get Halliburton running your country for you. You think I'm kidding? This, is, this will all come out. We'll have one big corporation that will deal with all of this across the world for every nation. That's still to come, folks. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.